Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. holidays to you and yours a preemptive happy new year as well the orange bowl coming up december 30th uh tom and keith back with you although in fairness we're actually enjoying our holidays too so this is a best of edition and uh, you know you look back at this fall keith and one of the the maybe the best interview we had the privilege to do this this fall involved leah paskey who is uh uh, the mom of Bo, and remember back before the football season started when Travis Rudolph had that simple gesture of sitting down with a kid who was by himself uh, at the middle school lunch table and it went viral. Uh, what a moment that was for Bo and for Leah, and she joined us, and we'll, and we'll replay that for you coming up. Uh, it will probably bring tears to your eyes uh, just like it did to mine when we were doing it. It is is a truly refreshing story. It is, and uh, and this is the time to revisit it at the, at the holiday time of year, no question. Also coming up, uh, we had a, a chance to talk with Tim Brando, longtime uh, sportscaster. You know him from his college football studio days, and he's been calling college basketball and ACC basketball for years and years. He is outspoken and opinionated and has uh, a, a lot of uh, strong opinions about uh, Notre Dame coming into the ACC someday, about the ACC network, uh, about Jimbo, about a lot of college football topics and things related to FSU. He joined us for, for a while, and we'll replay that. And it's not just opinions. He, he's a learned and well-read person. He, before he comes out with something, he's done his research. He's not just the talking head. Yeah, He's got some uh, some facts and figures and others behind it. So I uh, look forward to replaying that. And also Dan Murphy from uh, ESPN.com, who's a Big Ten blogger, covers Michigan. Uh, this is Jermaine, obviously, because the Knowles and Wolverines coming up here shortly. And uh, he will give us a little bit of insight, uh, peek behind the curtain of what it's like to cover Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. What's he really like? Yeah, the world would, wants to know. Dan will try to answer that, but I don't know that anybody can truly answer that. We'll try when uh, when we continue. So it's a, it's a best of edition. Enjoy it. And again, happy holidays to you and yours. We'll cue it up next. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. We welcome you back to the front row. Tom and Keith back with you. And as we mentioned uh, at the top of the program, and as you're well aware, if you're listening to this show, you follow Florida State and uh, unless you were clearly under a rock, you know about the story involving Travis Rudolph uh, and what he did at a local middle school in terms of uh, sitting down to have lunch with a boy who was sitting by himself. That boy was Bo Paskey, who is autistic, and his mom uh, had a really heartfelt Facebook post about that uh, later in the day, and it went viral, and she is kind enough to join us right now. So uh, welcome, Leah Paskey. Uh, thanks so much for taking some time to join Keith and I. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, reaching out to me. It's awesome. Well, and, uh, you know, it, it's amazing. You never know what's going to go viral. And, and certainly this was a, it's been a tremendous 24 hours, I would think, for you and for Bo. So I guess my first question would be, when did you first see the picture or become aware of what happened yesterday? I actually got sent the picture by a friend that works here at the school. He's the um, school resource deputy. Um, 
at the Leon County Sheriff's Office, but they're positioned in each school. And I, I've known him for a long time. I actually work for the Sheriff's Office in the accounting department. And he sent me the picture and he said, Travis Rudolph is um, eating lunch with your son and sent the picture. And I said, who is that? Because I love FSU, but I, you know, ashamedly haven't been following the players that much this year. And he said, uh, FSU football player? So I Googled it and immediately saw who he was and just started, you know, crying. So I see he's the star wide receiver. And I'm just so humbled and honored that he would be kind enough to take a few minutes to sit with my son. I'm just so grateful. And when you got home and talked or whenever you talked to Bo after the encounter, uh, what did he have to say about it? He was so excited. He said, he said, Mom, he said it was awesome. He that he told me he sat with Travis and Travis signed his lunchbox and he just thought that the experience and talking to him was he asked him if he was in the NFL and Travis told him not yet uh so um just the exchange um was meant so much to Bo he was so proud to show me the signature on the lunchbox and um the team has reached out and offered for Bo to have dinner with them and he's so excited about meeting the whole team he can't even stand it it's been great leah tell us a little bit about Bo, about it about the some of the difficulties that are associated with his condition and 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 how he's doing uh, academically in school uh brag on brag on your youngster a little bit to us yeah um well actually fortunately uh autism spectrum disorder can um, present in a in a huge um, variety of ways and Fortunately, he happens to be on the higher end of the spectrum, so it means he functions more at a normal level than some people with autism. So he's able to um, function in a typical classroom. He's able to, for the most part, keep up with the assignments and, um, you know, the instruction and comprehension part. And his grades are are pretty good. There's a few areas he struggles with, mostly reading comprehension, but um, he, he overall he does pretty good at, at keeping up. The, the problem comes in with the social part. He he doesn't necessarily have the same social skills and carry the same kind of conversation that a typical child has. So that's where some of the difficulties come in. Well, you have a, a great connection that you may not have been aware of, and that's with the the voice of Florida State football in Gene Deckerhoff. He has an autistic grandson. Uh, that I've had the opportunity to visit with Gene and talk about the challenges associated with that. And I know as a, as a caregiver, a mom, a granddad, whatever the case may be, there, there are challenges associated with that, but there's some great rewards when you see progress and, and improvement uh, from your youngster as well. Yes, definitely. And actually, I was telling somebody this morning in a little bit of an interview I've just seen, um, just in this year alone, in the last couple weeks, with him being back in an environment with so many kids, you know, in his peer circle, just improvements in some of his conversational skills and noticing things that, that I, that he didn't do before that he's doing now just in the social aspect. So that's been huge for me and just seeing the growth in, in that. So I'm, I'm so grateful for this. This is a fantastic school and he really does actually handpicked it for him to come here. The kids are super um, kind to him, um, and I'm not sure why he sits, you know, alone. Um, it's probably about 50-50, and I'm not sure why he sits alone on those days. Um, but there are kids here that reach out to him and are kind of protective of him. So I definitely didn't want people to think that the school, you know, allowed him to be bullied or left out because this is actually a fantastic school. 
I just I just worry on the days that he sits alone. So. Well, and that's part of the job of being mom, uh, and and certainly you shared that uh, very very well last night. What what resources have you used or leaned on around town or around Tallahassee or regionally for that matter uh, to to help with therapy and that sort of thing? Um, I've done. I've been to the. Um, it's TMH has a therapy outlet, and he's we've been there a couple of times. Um, but his doctor really didn't think that he needed um, any more like speech therapy or occupational therapy at this point. Um, but he's done when he was in school in elementary school, they did some um, social therapy and put him in some social situations to work on his conversation skills with peers. So that's, that's kind of what he's done. And they provided that in school. So that was nice. What should, uh, should folks be aware of that? I feel like, you know, it's human nature that uh, we have a fear of the unknown. And if you don't have an autistic child, or, or on around one, you don't necessarily know how to act or how to handle it. So what's something that people should be aware of uh, when they interact with autistic children? You know, that, I've, uh, that is a really good question. And I think probably the biggest thing is when they see somebody who's autistic and they sometimes they tend to have um, stems or, 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 or um, what do you call them, like ticks where you flap your hands or maybe make weird noises with your mouth. And sometimes kids don't really understand what that is and maybe they think um, that whoever it is they're speaking to may not be able to talk to them and and, um, have a friendship with them like a typical child, but really his heart and his spirit is the same as the typical children. He just, and and Bo in particular is so lovey. He's got a hug for everybody he meets. So I just, I I hope that, that people can, if they see somebody that's a little different, not necessarily think that they can't have the same kind of friendship with them as, as somebody who is looks more like them or acts more like them because they really they're really the same. Well, Leah, I know I know in the last twenty four hours your world has gotten very very busy. Give us a little snapshot of what you've been up to uh, uh, this morning and and, and and things that are scheduled going forward. Yes, definitely, it's been crazy. Um, just kind of, I've had been contacted by most of the major um, news outlets um, and offered for interviews and Skype, you know, interviews and camera crews and um, actually SportsCenter has called and invited us to the game on Monday. So they want to do an interview on Monday in Orlando. Um, so it's just kind of been a whirlwind and super overwhelming, but I'm so grateful and appreciative of the attention and spreading the, sto- spreading the story. I've been the biggest part was just overwhelmed and humbled by the amount of people that are sending stories saying, Hey, I have an autistic child too. And this story gives me hope that, you know, that kindness can be spread and more awareness can be spread. So maybe people will be more kind to my child in turn. And I love that. That's been the part that's been the most special for me. You mentioned that uh, obviously you're an FSU fan, but didn't necessarily know who Travis Rudolph was. Yes. I'm curious, has Bo been to an FSU football game? He has not. He has not. They've offered to um, – um, SportsCenter is sending us to the game on Monday, so that'll be his first game, and he's so excited about it. I suspect we can make one happen at Doe Campbell, too, before this year's over. What's yes. that What's that moment going to be like for you? Um, I'm I'm positive it will be very emotional, but I'm I'm so excited and grateful for the opportunity, and I will be – Mostly just excited to see how he interacts with the team. It's just going to be so exciting for him. 
Well, thank you for sharing the story. And uh, I know you've been very busy today with all those calls and media outlets that uh, are, are tracking you down. But uh, we really wanted to have you on, uh, not not for the Florida State uh, aspect of it, but more for the uh, informing the general public, if you will, about uh, autism. And uh, so if there's anything else you'd like to add, I'll, I'll give you that form. But thank you so much for joining us. Okay, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. All righty, that is uh, Leah Paskey. Uh, good to see positive news being talked about, and, and not just because it's associated with Florida State, but, uh, you know, I come from a news background, and uh, the old expression, it bleed, if it bleeds, it leads. And when you look at uh, news websites and even sports news websites, matter of fact, I did this last night, and uh, I don't remember if it was ESPN or what website it was, but literally it was 10 college football stories, and every headline save for the Travis Rudolph one, was player suspended, player arrested, player accused, player this, player that. And it gets overwhelming. So good work by Travis Rudolph. And uh, again, Leah, thank you uh, for your time. And uh, folks, if you haven't taken the time, you probably know the story. If you haven't taken the time to find the Facebook post, go do that. Read what uh, she had to say about the whole encounter. Uh, Truly good, good stuff. front row we're going to go right to the phone lines the uh, earl bacon hotline ensuring your future together and say hello to a a recognizable voice uh, and face for that matter if you've watched any college football or college basketball over the last two or three decades you certainly know who tim brando is and uh, we're pleased to be able to bring him to the front row tonight tim thanks so much uh, for a few minutes of your time how are you great tom keith it's good to be with both of you well we really do appreciate it obviously uh you're a i guess Focused on play-by-play now with Fox, but you've been a studio host. Uh, you've called an awful lot of basketball and had a long association with the ACC. And uh, so I know that uh, our, our listeners will appreciate your insight. And uh, I, I've noticed I recently began following you on, on in social media probably the last few months. And I appreciate the fact that you're very outspoken and opinionated on lots of different topics. So uh, I guess we'll start uh, on the ACC side and then we'll expand. I know the Big 12 is the, is the big topic this week, but... Uh, you had said months before the commissioner of the league said that there would be an ACC network, that there would be an ACC network. So uh, obviously that's come to fruition now. And you've also gone on record, I think, uh, saying that you think that Notre Dame will be all in someday. Are you are you still of that opinion about Notre Dame? Yes. Oh, yes. And and, and the worse their season goes now, or likely I think it, it is to become sooner than later, um, honestly. Um, they – that job is not what it once was. And uh, I've had the conversation, and I know Brian Kelly's not necessarily the most popular of um, of head coaches these days. Um, but the truth of the matter is that, that staff, it's hard to keep a staff together, and it's hard to prepare when you're going against the schedule that's as um, fragmented as the Notre Dame schedule is. Um, they'll play triple option teams. And then go to spread teams, um, and then and, and then with the tradition uh, of of keeping some of their games like the ones with USC uh, that they have out west, it can make for a real difficulty from a travel standpoint, 
uh, and from a, a level of consistency. You know, coaches that coach in the ACC or the SEC or the Big 12 or the Big 10, they, they get accustomed to year in and year out what the drill is. And, and for Notre Dame, it's much more fragmented. Uh, and plus, the modern-day Internet athlete wants to play for championships, multiple championships, not just one. Notre Dame only gets to play for one. And and while the NBC deal has certainly given them an advantage, they're making a, a lot of um, uh, changes and, and much-needed innovations to their stadium and adding on to it. Uh, if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. And I, certainly I was there for basketball season last year. and It was in full bloom what was going on there. So they've made a lot of money. They've pocketed a lot of money with their NBC deal. But when you measure what that deal was worth when they first entered into it, plus uh, and then compare that to what conference affiliation deals now are like, whether it's the new Big Ten contract with Fox or the uh, ESPN, ACC, and SEC deals. Uh, it's not as it's not as big of a deal or a, a great advantage financially as it as it once was. In fact, uh, it just makes more sense for Notre Dame to be in a league, uh, and I, I don't think it's lost on anyone there. I know a lot of blue bloods and uh, generationally uh, people that fall into my category uh, that are baby boomers just can't stand the thought of them being anything but independent. But uh, it's not a it's not a scoop to anyone that our generation is no longer as much of a factor as it once was. So they're trying to appeal to millennials and and Gen X's and Gen Y's and and being in a conference uh, really helps. And when they won the SC, the ACC title in basketball two years ago, uh, it meant a lot to them to hang that banner inside the Joyce and Athletic Convocation Center. So uh, I don't think that's lost on the people that are in governance uh, there now. I think Swarbrick uh, is, is doing his best. Jack Swarbrick is doing his best to maintain a level of independence for football. But I think that uh, especially now when we see the program going uh, perhaps in the wrong direction on the field, it's going to make the uh, decision to make the change even easier for them. And once the ACC linear network is up and going, which is three years away, I think by that time Notre Dame's leanings will change and that ultimately they will join the, the conference. And, and listen, um, from my standpoint, uh, when that happens, uh, you know, my association with the ACC through Raycom will come to an end. Uh, because I'm I'm fortunate that Fox allows me to continue to be a part of the ACC network in its current form uh, in syndication. So it's not in my best interest for there to be an ACC network. <laughs> but, but but I think you know that there's going to be. I felt there was going to be, and I think ultimately it's going to help uh, the conference a lot. That's one of the reasons why the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, did that about face in the summer and, 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 and said they were going to expand. I think that was a reaction to some extent of what the ACC had accomplished. And of course, now we know the Big 12 couldn't get out of its own way. <laughs> Before we go to that uh, topic, Timmy, uh, your, your thoughts on the recent vote to stay uh, uh, eight uh, league games versus nine league games uh, in, in football. What's your, what's your take on that? Until such time as there is data, to suggest that it's in your best interest to go to nine, I, I understand it. Um, I think that's what the SEC has determined it wanted to do, and and the ACC is probably uh, wise to do the same thing, um, especially now with the conference looking so good. You know, it's a little bit like um, 
the SEC is the only conference that doesn't have a grant of rights. Um, the ACC's very foundation and strength is, is based largely on its grant of rights. But the SEC didn't need to have it because they, they knew that they were the gold standard and that no one's going to lead. So that's, that's the conference that, um, that, that is uh, the envy of, of every other league. So they didn't have to do it. And, and being steadfast and staying with eight games was also a sign of strength. So I think the ACC, especially now, they, they're, they're having a banner season in football. This may be the best ACC season uh, for college football that I can that I can remember in in many many years. Um, and and the, the quarterback play in the league is better than any other league in America. Uh, I would suggest that it's challenging this season the SEC as being perhaps more deep, uh, have, having greater depth than uh, than the Southeastern Conference has. Um, it's it's maybe minus the dominant team that that Alabama is. We'll soon find out. We'll see. We'll see if Clemson can can you know hit the on switch and start playing at the level that I think we all thought that they could. Florida State will. Uh, say a lot about that in their future, so we'll find out. But up and down the conference, it's uh, it's as good as it's ever been. So when you're in a position of strength, and there's potential for you to get two teams in, and I think there is potential right now for the ACC to get two teams in. If Louisville can continue to play well, uh, take care of Houston, and uh, and Clemson not lose, then why would you go to a ninth game? Uh, wait for more data to come in before you make that kind of a change. We're talking with Tim Brando. You mentioned the term grant of rights, and one of the news items that came out of the Big 12's decision this week, or which was not to expand, is that they did not extend their grant of rights. So is is this basically a dead league walking at this point, Tim? Well, they, they, they certainly uh, have to understand that that's going to be speculated by a lot of people. Whether they like it or not, that's going to be that's going to be speculation, um, and they put themselves in this position. Uh, and then I thought, and when I said they handled it inappropriately, understand. I think the world of Bob Bowlesby, John Underwood, a lot of the people that are in that Big Twelve office, I think the world of, uh, and I think their intentions were good. But as is the case with all commissioners, they're working with institutions of higher learning that have to be on the same, you know, it's a cliche, but it's true. you got to be on the same page. And, and these presidents and athletic directors, but mostly presidents, are vacillating from year to year, from month to month, about what it is they want. Um, Texas has long since been uh, the controlling interest of that league. And while I think in the past it was the biggest problem, a lot of other members. It's one of the reasons why Nebraska vacated uh, for the Big Ten and one of the reasons why uh, Missouri wound up in the SEC. I, I think the thing that you've got to take into consideration with with um, this set of circumstances is that the, the, the league itself really did uh, want to and, and very publicly went about the business of trolling other conferences most most notably the American Athletic Conference, you know, 10 of their teams were, were interviewed during the course of the season. Um, when we were watching a game between um, Louisville and Cincinnati, much of the hype surrounding the game was about, is this a playoff to see 
which team gets in the Big 12. That's inappropriate. That shouldn't be going on during the season. This is what the Big 12 did to themselves. And, the, you know, the media is going to lock into what it's going to lock into. And the game was sold as such. Uh, that's, that's not in the best interest of the college game. Uh, now, our business, the television business, uh, notably is going through some difficult times. Uh, cable cord cutting among millennials. Um, ESPN's subscriber base, it's a matter of record, is down about 10 million. Uh, Fox Sports One, who's a growing brand new network, just had its best week ever. Um, I'm proud to say that, but they've suffered some losses in cable too. Uh, perhaps not as many subscriber losses, but they didn't have as many to, to lose as, as ESPN did. But it was in the best interest from a television standpoint. Uh, and these are the reports that are out there. The Sports Business Journal people do most of this. They put it out there, and I'm an avid reader of it. I keep up with it. Um, within the contracts that, that both ESPN and Fox have, um, they were going to be obligated to pay a lot more money, a lot more money, if they expanded. Now, what they decided uh, was was to be preemptive. You know, the suits in my business were preemptive, and they went to – the Big 12, and basically both the, the ones at ESPN and Fox, uh, and said, listen, we will guarantee you X number of dollars per team if you don't expand. And so that, it was going to be a cash grab for the conference by expanding. So what television executives in this situation did was they, 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 they gave them the cash grab, but it was a limited amount of cash that was preemptive that would ultimately save the television networks a lot more money if they didn't expand uh, any further. So it kind of tells you, I think, that uh, that's the situation the Big 12 was in. They wanted to take the money now as opposed to, um, you know, concerning themselves with what they wanted to do long-term to get uh, far greater financial impact. So uh, the industry we're in, uh, still it was the – the decision of the conference to not expand, I think it's driven more by presidents within that conference that don't know what they want from week to week, uh, more so than Texas this time around. I think it was Oklahoma's David Boren, their president, uh, that was the, the problem. Uh, I think he wanted uh, to have expansion. They went out and got a television guy that helped put uh, ESPN Classic on the air, and then also took CSTV, College Sports Television, sold it to CBS for $300 million, the network that used to air my, my radio show when it was televised. Uh, Aqua uh, is his name. Uh, he was their consultant on this. I think they thought that they would find a, a way to, to really have a big payday. And once they found out that uh, maybe it wasn't going to work to the extent that they did, and, and Houston's success, I think, had something to do with this, um, the state of Texas was willing to bring Houston in, but Oklahoma looked at it, both Oklahoma schools, and says, well, that, that, that may hurt us in recruiting. So now all of a sudden it becomes provincial, and they change their minds. Well, this is not good. This is not good uh, in terms of, of building a foundation for a strong conference. And, and really, that's what, in my opinion, that's what's happening here. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the SEC real quick. Uh, in, in light of the LSU Florida rescheduling, uh, I know you had opinions on that too. Now, <laughs> now that we know 
you know, Florida's going to LSU this year. LSU's going to go to Florida the next two years. Uh, who was the winner? Who came out looking good in that whole situation? Anybody? There were no, there were no winners, just losers. Uh, you know, that, what I, what, my discussion about being on the same page, uh, you know, the Big 12, I think, aired its dirty laundry from a public standpoint in the manner in which they inappropriately handled expansion. Um, the SEC, as high and mighty as it is, and has been the top conference in college football, really in the, in the modern era, this was uh, a very bad look for everybody involved. Uh, and I have great respect for all the men involved. I, I'll say it again. Um, uh, fellas, I mean, the truth is good people can make mistakes. Uh, whether they're well-intentioned or not, they can make mistakes. And uh, at every level uh, of leadership, when it came to this particular situation, uh, everyone failed uh, because they only had their constituencies in mind. Uh, Jeremy Foley's one of the greatest athletic directors of his generation. Um, but this didn't look particularly good for him on his way out the door, in my opinion. Uh, Joe Oliva looked even worse, the LSU athletic director, who wouldn't answer questions when he fired the coach that had the greatest winning percentage in his school's history um, after he anointed him at the end of last year after twisting in the wind when he was courting your coach at Florida State and ultimately didn't get him. And then suddenly uh, the same athletic director that wouldn't answer any questions on the Miles uh, exit takes the podium at uh, Ed Orgeron's presser the following week to pander to his uh, fan base by saying, we will, by God, not play uh, anywhere other than Tiger Stadium on November the 19th. Uh, that was not necessary and was really inappropriate at a time when he and Oliva and um, the commissioner, Greg Sankey, should have been working behind the scenes to come up with um, a compromise that, that looked good for all parties. Uh, and as for the commissioner, you know, Greg Sankey, I've known since he was in the Southland Conference, and he is trying to fill some size 22s that belong to uh, Mike's lives. But, you know, he didn't look particularly strong when he went on CBS and Gary Danielson asked him the question outright, do you have the authority to, to get this taken care of? And he, he didn't answer the question. That's not a good look at all. And it's one of the reasons why I believe that as, as we move forward, in college football and basketball, and with all that's at stake with the college football playoff, um, all these commissioners, uh, and I think Jim Delaney and John Swafford right now are the two strongest ones we have, but all these commissioners are acting uh, basically uh, to, to, to take care of, as they should, their own constituencies. But the game is too big, and there's far too much money at stake, and these guys are in business together. And at some point, we need someone looking out for the totality of the game. We need, we need someone mitigating issues both on the field and off the field, objectively and clearly. And that's why I believe we need a commissioner for college football, uh, or a so-called czar, if you will. Um, what we've seen happen with the Big 12, what happened with the Florida LSU fiasco is, is further proof of that, in my opinion. Tim, you mentioned the uh, courtship, uh, LSU and Jimbo. Uh, are we to assume that courtship is over, or uh, might it resurrect itself? That's a question for Jimmy Sexton. 
<laughs> well, and if we if we we're only an hour show, so I don't think we can have Jimmy on. Well, all all, all coaching questions are questions for Jimmy Sexton. We are aware, yeah, of that. aren't they? Yeah, aren't they? Uh, I would I would assume uh, that the interest level from from LSU would still be there, uh, particularly if he you know gets the win against Clemson and gets the thing going again, but. His star isn't shining as brightly now, you know, in the in the carousel of available coaches for athletic directors as it did a year ago at this time. Um, I'm not saying there's a fall from grace. Jimbo is well respected. I mean, he's one of the top five coaches in America, and he does have strong ties to LSU. A lot of the blue bloods or Tiger Athletic Foundation people that I know, major donors have really good relationships with Jimbo. So the idea that they would maybe make another run at him, uh, I could see that. But at the same time, I think Jimmy Sexton knows uh, because he's an agent. I mean, he's, 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 he was there front and center, thought that they, that he had a deal. And then uh, the president of LSU just absolutely baffles, the, it baffles the mind to think that someone uh, would be worried about what the legislative body in the state of Louisiana thinks. My God, we're the most corrupt state historically <laughs> in politics ever. But he suddenly cared about image and said, you know, we're having these cutbacks in higher education. This is just not a good look to pay this amount of money uh, to uh, uh, to get rid of Les Miles and then to bring in Jimbo Fisher. This coming from a president that knows that his athletic department has been cutting a $10 million check for his academic side for the last decade. I mean, what sense did that make? Um, just foolish on every, on every level. Uh, but that's what happened last year. Otherwise, I believe Jimbo would have been coming to LSU. Uh, I really believe that. Uh, but that it didn't happen, uh, and I think Coach Fisher's relationships, best I can tell at Florida State, are very good. And the leadership at LSU is not very good. I don't see Jimbo coming to LSU at all, uh, especially after what happened last year. I don't. So, but but would they make a run at him? And I think that's your question. Yeah, I think they probably would. Interesting. Very interesting. Tim, we could talk to you for a while, but uh, we'll do you the favor of not asking you more questions at this point. But that is uh, that that is it's great perspective. We'll let you uh, go go back on your way. We'd love to have you on again sometime, though. But uh, thanks for what you thanks for what love you've done over the years to promote uh, college athletics, college basketball, college football, sports we all love and enjoy. Yeah, well, you know, I'd, I'd love to have more positive to say, but unfortunately, we just haven't had a lot of positivity. Like, I guess the best news is we've got uh, the college football playoff out in front of us, and uh, the next month and a half is going to be a lot of fun. I just wish the people that govern the game would make sure we could keep some of this stuff that's uh, not related to the game, like expansion and, and that kind of thing. From the, and, and, and when you have people in power that are supposed to know what they're doing and communicate with one another, uh, actually be proactive and have contingency plans in place so we don't have to drag on these kinds of uh, conversation pieces during the course of the season. It would really help, wouldn't it? It would. It, w- it would. No it most question. definitely would. Thanks again, Tim Brando, uh, play-by-play announcer with Fox and a uh, longtime uh, voice face associated with college athletics. Uh, we appreciate his insight as he joined us uh, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. We'll react to uh, what he said. We'll try to. I don't think we can top or really add much to what he said, but we'll try it anyway when we come back on the front row. We don't need no education. 
Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, Tom and KJ with you. We turn our attention now. To the Orange Bowl, Florida State and Michigan coming up on December 30th. And uh, we're very grateful that uh, Dan Murphy from ESPN.com, who covers the Big Ten and Michigan, is uh, kind enough to uh, join us for a few minutes. Uh, Dan, how are things? Things are good. How are things down in uh, Florida? Probably a little bit warmer than up here in Michigan yes. this week. Yeah, warmer than where you are for sure. And, uh, and warmer still in South Florida, which means from a fan standpoint, I imagine that the uh, Wolverine faithful are probably excited to, to go to South Florida, but I guess we can start the conversation there. How much excitement is there given that Michigan didn't make the college football playoff and in some respects the Orange Bowl is a consolation prize? Yeah, it's certainly not where Michigan fans or Michigan players were hoping they'd be booking tickets uh, around New Year's Eve weekend, but um, I think that it's still been uh long enough before they've had any great bowl games to celebrate that fans will get excited uh it's easy enough to get excited about going down to miami any time of year especially in january or february for the the michigan folks and uh i, I expect that they'll travel pretty well it's the you know stephen ross who owns the, the the dolphins is down at that stadium there's a big michigan alum so i imagine that they'll uh be pretty hospitable to uh He's a big donor, too, so be pretty hospitable to those guys, and I would think that the Wolverines will, will travel pretty well despite not being in Atlanta or Arizona. Dan, KJ here. One of the things that uh, our fan base looks at when they look at Michigan is, is obviously the reputation and the tradition and the legend that is Michigan football, but then they come to Coach Harbaugh. And they don't know him well. They only know what they have bits and pieces. Now, I had the opportunity and pleasure to play for Coach Bowden, and everybody associated him with being the grandfatherly type, and the writers all liked him, and no one had any idea of how competitive and how hard-nosed he was. We have this perception of Coach Harbaugh as a little bit of a, of a eccentric guy. What's the real story from the people that have to deal with him on a day-to-day basis? Eccentric is definitely a fair description. Uh, I think people see him maybe as, as a little bit more devious than he might be. Um, he's he's a, a definitely an interesting guy. You know, I've been covering the team since he got here, and um, he he always has something new or interesting to say. Uh, you know, last night he created some ways talking about some of the NFL rumors, and I believe he called a few fellow. Uh, college head coaches jive turkeys so he's always good for a one-liner um but he's a really smart guy i mean his players absolutely love him he's probably not as difficult to cover uh as some as you may, might think from a distance based on uh, some of the things he says and does uh you know it, he he has a different mind he doesn't think in the same way that a lot of football coaches think that we're used to kind of dealing with so i think people uh see him say things and and uh, kind of try to figure out where he's coming from. Uh, I think most people who cover him up here have, have stopped trying to guess what's going on in his head. But uh, he's straightforward. He will uh, he will tell you what you think, what he thinks. And uh, I definitely prefer that over you know somebody who's just kind of spitting platitudes at us all day. Well, and I would think too for the average fan that that focuses in on those uh, uh, abnormalities uh, to to his 
credit's not the right word, but it probably overshadows the fact that he's a pretty good X and O guy, or he wouldn't be where. Oh at. yeah, he's. Uh, it's really interesting, you know. He runs a pro style offense and um, loves loves to throw fullbacks and tight ends at you, as far as the eye can see. But he's actually he and his offensive coaching staff are one of the more innovative staffs in the country with some of the different things they do out of some sets that look a little bit more traditional, but certainly don't act that way. Um, you know, they, they've done a good job at uh, mixing things up. And he also does a great job with, with quarterbacks. He's had, you know, a, a first year grad transfer starter last year. And he's got a, a red shirt freshman or redshirt sophomore now in Wilton Spate starting this year. Who's, uh, you know, on a week by week basis, you can see those guys getting better. And of course that uh, drives the offense for most teams. One statistic that came out this week uh, via the local newspaper here, the Tallahassee Democrat, and I'm sure it's been talked about, but I, I was flabbergasted when I read that there's 43 seniors on this Michigan team. I, I don't know how many of those are scholarship. That's as uh, as, as senior-laden a team as I can think of in college football. Yeah, it, it, they are very, very veteran-heavy. 43 is probably some interesting math to get those numbers up there between redshirt seniors and fourth-year guys who many of them will be eligible for a fifth year. Uh, they, they kind of honor all all the, the fourth-year guys want, because they're not sure if they're coming back or not, so that makes the group a little bit bigger than it might seem. But uh, they do have you know 15 or 16 guys in their starting lineup who are either seniors or, or redshirt juniors that are probably moving on to the NFL uh, after this game. So um, especially on the defense, they are very veteran heavy. They were, they were guys that, under the last coaching staff, played as you know true freshmen and sophomores, and have a ton of experience. Um, so that's that's one of their strengths, and probably one of the the interesting storylines in this game is Florida State seems like they're a couple years uh, further behind as far as experience goes. There, they got some younger guys who are coming up. Michigan is uh, is got their veteran group who's who's going to be turning things over here after this season. I'm not sure if you have access to talk to the assistant coaches at Michigan, but I'm curious your your take on uh, on Don Brown and the job he's done with this defense because obviously he was in the ACC prior to going to join Coach Harbaugh's staff. Yeah, we we get to chat with those guys every once in a while, not too often, but uh, Don is is a fun guy to cover. He's again an, an innovative guy, and uh, as you probably know from his ACC days, did not take the conventional path to get where he went. Uh, you know, coached. The Ivy Leagues coached a lot of small New England schools before uh, Boston College caught wind of him. And, um, he's done a really nice job fitting fitting an interesting, aggressive defense. Um, you know, every defensive coordinator likes to talk about how aggressive they're going to be, but, but Michigan, I think, blitzes more often than they don't. They're, they're pretty good at getting off the field. I think the best best team in the last decade as far as uh, the opponent's third down conversion rates, which is really a key for them. And then he does a really nice job with, with the guy that everybody always wants to talk about, Jabril Peppers, moving him around, finding different spots where even if he's not making the play, uh, a lot of offenses are adjusting to him and then having to account for him in four or five different spots within the space of a game on that defense. Just a point of clarification, when you say best in the last decade at, at third down percentage defense, do you mean at Michigan or you mean in college football? No, in college football. Yeah, yeah. In that, that's what football. I thought. I just wanted to clarify that point. So that's that's doing some mm-hmm. work. 
Dan, when uh, when Michigan folks look at Florida State and where they're at now, and uh, having played in the, in the playoffs a couple of times, won a national championship, what's the overall perception your people uh, are bringing to to Miami and, and what they think they're going to face in a Florida State group? Sure, yeah, I, th- I think the folks up here um, know that Florida State is a team that is always loaded with athletes, loaded talent talent wise, and um, you know I. I I don't know how closely they follow the week to week stuff. I know certainly uh, from from what I've seen the last, you know, it seems like they're peaking in November and really hitting their stride in the last three or four weeks. So uh, I'm expecting it to be a great game. I think fans, uh, you know, in a similar way that, that Florida State fans probably look on from a distance of Michigan and see the tradition and, and see the uh, the old kind of winning ways. I think people look at Florida State and think of Coach Bowden and think of, uh, you know, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh was pretty excited about the. Uh, Osceola horses uh, taking the field and that kind of thing, and the tomahawk chalks and all those things uh, translate up here for sure as a one of those uh, blue blood national programs. And I think that's um, one thing that they probably have folks excited that if, if they can't play, if they can't watch Michigan play in a playoff game, they're at least going to get to see them go against a big time program in a big bowl game. It's amazing to me too. Uh, I played at Florida State in the late seventies. Uh, that Michigan has only played at Florida State have only played a couple of times. You would have thought those mm-hmm. paths would have crossed more. Yeah, no. Some somebody needs to uh, get uh, the two ads together when they get down there in Miami and set some things up. That would be a fun series to see continue. Well, you know how tough it is to get non-conference uh, opponents on your home field these days, so we'll have to make that happen in, in like Dallas, like Michigan opening with Florida next year uh, in that game. I, I'm curious, uh, you know, and this is sort of a – everybody throws this question out uh, about the expansion potential of the college football playoff, but in light of the Big Ten scenario this year with Penn State making an argument, Michigan fans making an argument, Ohio State being the team that's in – uh, is there any kind of consensus where you are in Big Ten territory about whether we're fine at four or should expand beyond that? I don't know if there's any more consensus here than there is anywhere else in the country. There are definitely folks that that would love to see it get to eight games and think that the Big Ten would have at least gotten two teams in in that scenario, if not three. Um, but, uh, I mean, personally, come from me, I, I love the fact that it's it's four teams and there's five conferences and the math there just works out for a perfect fun little musical chairs game that I think makes college football so great uh, that we can have these debates. And I know that when you're, when you're uh, cheering for a team that's on on the fifth or sixth slot looking in, it's not so much fun, but um, up here, I don't, I don't know that uh, I think that folks have realized that in the first three years that um, if you complain about a certain scenario or a certain set of criteria and want it to go, one way, one year, the next year, it's going to end up being the exact opposite of that. And it's, you know, there's, there's no foolproof way to figure out how, what, what's going to be best for your conference or for your team on a year to year basis based on uh, the first, the small set of the first three years of data we've gotten from the committee so far. Well, one point that continues to hold true, uh, save for maybe one exception uh, in Auburn years ago, is that if you win all your games, uh, it, it doesn't matter if it's a committee or a poll or the BCS, you're, you're probably going to be in the playoff. That's a pretty good way to go about it. Yeah, just keep winning football games. Yeah, exactly right. Well, we'll let you go on this. What do you see as the keys for Michigan in this game against Florida State? Uh, slow down Dalvin Cook, obviously. It seems like he is the guy that makes them go um, watching – him go against Michigan's front seven um, and 
to try to find some cracks in there is going to be a really fun and entertaining matchup. Um, and then offensively, Wilton State was uh, injured in, in the last couple games of the year. Um, and Michigan's creativity that they showed on offense kind of dwindled with, uh, with them being out against Indiana. And then uh, it seemed like at least uh, a little bit hamstrung by, by a non-throwing shoulder injury against Ohio State. So I think that uh, with, with a healthy spate, if they can kind of open things back up again and try to get creative, and they'll have a full month to try to come up with some entertaining things, that um, they'll, they'll have a better chance of trying to get into that Florida secondary in, in the middle there and, and try to get away from McFadden and some of the other players that, that can uh, make plays and, and try to get down the field against someone Makes sense. Sounds good. Dan, thanks so much for your insight uh, from Big Ten territory. You got it, fellas. Looking forward to uh, heading down your way here in a couple weeks. All right. We'll uh, we'll say hello when we see you in South Florida. That is uh, Dan Murphy, who covers Michigan in the Big Ten for uh, ESPN.com. Appreciate uh, his insight on the Wolverines. We will pause, step aside, come back, react to some of what he said as we continue on the front row. Stay with us. <laughs> You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. We are out of time for this week and this best of edition of The Front Row. But uh, a sincere Merry Christmas uh, to you for being one of our listeners and to you, KJ. It's been fun. to you, Tom, uh, and the Block family. It's It's a special time. Uh, Kathy and I are blessed with uh, with grandbabies now that are old enough uh, to sit up on their own and open packages, uh, not just to sit there and look at them. So uh, we have a big time this time of year. Well, and we always head to New Orleans, which is where my wife's family is from, and have a good time. And in the case of this particular year, the Bucks and Saints are playing a Christmas Eve game, and one Gene Deckerhoff will be in town and may even spend Christmas Eve with us uh, because he can't get back to Tallahassee until Christmas Day. What so. a what a great present. What a great present. There is a lot to be grateful for, uh, including you folks who listen on a, on a regular basis. So we'll talk to you again uh, in the new year. There'll be another best of edition next week. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Everybody.